Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us. If you're online, again, thanks for being here and worshiping with us too. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive that handout on your way in here. It has the passage. It's printed there for you so you can follow along as well. For some time now, we have been going through the most famous sermon in all the world, in all of history, the most impactful sermon. It's Jesus' sermon that we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus never called it that, by the way, but that's what we have come to call it. And it is by far the most famous sermon, the most impactful sermon ever given. And so we've just been taking our time working through that sermon. Now, we are coming to the close of that teaching. And next week, in fact, we are going to conclude this teaching series. We're going to look at the last portion of Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And I really want to encourage you to come back next week for that. Um, There's two reasons for that. One, I really do want you to hear the conclusion of this series and the, the final teaching of Jesus But I also want you to come because I want you to hear the introduction of where we're going next. Because next week we're going to conclude a series, but we're also going to start a series at the same time. Because Jesus' final words in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount really set us up. And it serves as an incredible introduction to the series that we're going to be looking at next and going through for the course of the summer. So I really want to encourage you to come back for that this next week. Now, today, however, we are coming to this, the concluding portion of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is really driving um, towards a decision. He's been teaching, and when he's done with his teaching, he doesn't say, okay, great, I hope you like what I had to say today. He doesn't end like that. Like any good teacher, he says, okay, I've been teaching you, and you've been listening to what I'm saying But now it's time for you to make a decision. Like any good teacher, he drives towards application. And that's what he's driving us towards today in the passage we're going to look at. He drives his listeners, and us today as well, towards a fork in the road. To make a decision based on what he's been saying. That we would respond to his words, not just hear it, but we would respond to it with our choices with our decisions. And Jesus wants to be very clear that really, truly, the fork in the road um, is about him and the decision that we have to make about him. And so if I do my job right today, I'll clarify what that fork in the road is for you as well, that you would understand what Jesus wants for you, what he wants for us and the decision that he's calling us to make. So with that, I do want to invite you to look to Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, we're going to read through 23. This passage, Jesus is really making us, forcing us to say, I don't want you to just have nice sentimental thoughts towards me. I want you to submit your whole life to me. That's what he's driving at. And so what I want to invite you to do is please stand. We're going to read this passage together in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it together verse by verse. But let's read it together. It says this beginning in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Well, there's a little cheery passage for your spring, right? <laughs> well, as you can tell, it is a serious talk. And Jesus is driving us to make serious choices. And it's an important thing for us to understand and to, and to get. Jesus is done with his teaching, but he's not done with his application. And he really wants to make sure that we understand that there's a decision that we need to make. There's a choice that we have. There's a fork in the road. And he wants us to clearly see that. And he does so out of his great love for us, his care for us, and his, his concern for our future. And every parent knows this to be true in your life as well with your kids, right? You care deeply about the choices that your kids make. And it's because you love them. We're entering into graduation season right now. And any, um, any parent who's walked through the kids graduating and, and maybe launching out, that they're hoping, every parent is hoping at that point of graduation that I hope you remember all the things I've taught you. I hope you've remembered all the warnings that I've given you about the world because you're going you're gonna to face forks in the road. And every parent wants their kids to make wise decisions when they hit that fork in the road, don't they? Why is that? Because parents love their kids. And parents also recognize that decisions lead to destinations. The path you take takes you to a place, doesn't it? And so it's very important the decisions we make. The choices, they're critical. And Jesus is at the same thing saying, listen, you're at a critical fork in the road when it comes to me and what you do with me, what you do with respond to my teaching and who I am. And it's his love and his care that he, he says, hey, I need to put this in front of you. And he drives us to make a decision. And he does it in this passage over and over, in fact. And he, he does it by repeating and giving these great contrasts, kind of pointing out the fork over and over and over again. That's what he's doing. In fact, in this passage, you'll see that he does it in sets of two. If you're a note taker, today's your day, by the way. You're going to get to take lots of notes. But if you're a note taker, here's what he's doing. You'll see it in verses four, 13 through 14. He talks about two gates. Maybe you can see that there in your passage. And then in verses 15 through 20, he talks about two trees. And then in verses 21 through 23, he talks about two claims. So again, this is the pattern that he follows. But again, he's driving us to make a decision. You're at a fork in the road. What are you going to do when it comes to who Jesus is? And so let's begin then with the gate. In verse 13, it says this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Um, then verse 14, 
um, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So he's right up, right up front saying, hey, there's two gates and there's two roads. And he's really pointing out the contrast. There's a narrow gate and then there's the wide gate. And there's the narrow gate and that's harder and that's more difficult. And then there's the wide gate and that's easier and that's more popular. But one leads to destruction and one leads to life. And we know this principle to be true, quite honestly, in lots of arenas in life, not just spiritually speaking, but in lots of arenas, that the wide gate, the easy gate, it is not always the best one, right? You, you know that to be true, don't you, in many arenas. If you say, hey, when it comes to studying, I'm not going to study. When it comes to homework and tests and, and doing my, you know, turning in assignments, I'm not going to do it. That's the easy way, Right? But very few of us would testify that it's the best way, right? There's the, there's the person who says, well, every weekend I'm going to go party. I'm going to, you know, every weekend it's, it's revelry every weekend. And that's, sure, that's an, that's an easy thing to do. In fact, it's even a popular thing to do. But does it bring life? That's the question. We, we, we think about this in our marriage. We can testify it in our marriage as well. On one, one hand, when it comes to our marriage, you know, it's easy to say, I'm going to think about myself. I'm going to put my needs, my concerns, my ways first. That's easy in marriage, isn't it? But then when it comes to, I need to die to myself. I need to put the needs of my spouse before me. I need to repent. I need to forgive. That's hard, right? But it leads to life. When it comes to friendships, it's easy to have acquaintances in, in and out, just kind of surface friendships. It's easy to have lots of surface friendships. But if you want to have a deep, meaningful friendship, it takes time. It takes pursuit. It takes a willingness to, to have conflict and confront and tell the truth, to be honest and transparent. That's where deep friendships are formed, right? So the easy way is... is is very easy, right, in many ways, and it, but it doesn't always lead to life. And we know that in lots of arenas. In the same way, Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to follow me, it, there's going to be some resistance that you have internally because it's not the easy way. And in fact, in Jesus' teaching, he recognizes that, that, that that's true. And he, he puts before us, hey, listen, I know the natural, easy thing for you to do is to blow up in anger. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, I need you to set your anger aside. And I need you to look for ways to forgive. Jesus, Jesus says, hey, listen, I know that it's easy or natural for us to want to be defensive when we're attacked. And we all will be attacked. We're all going to be persecuted at some point. But Jesus says, I want you to instead not look to be defensive, but look to serve and look to, to, to care and again to forgive. Jesus says, when it comes to your relationships, I'm looking for a whole new level of purity and faithfulness and devotion in your relationships and especially in your relationship to your mate. That's what he's calling us to as followers. When it comes to um, how we view people, he says, listen, I need you to set aside your judgmentalism. Instead of judging people as a follower, what you need to first do is examine yourself and judge yourself first. Again, these are not easy things to do, right? There's a certain resistance there, and Jesus recognizes that. And we, we need to recognize that too. 
But more than just recognizing that there's, it's, you know, there's some challenge and difficulty and that there's resistance in terms of following him, what we really need to understand, which is the core issue of what this passage is teaching us, is the issue of the gate. Look at it with me in verse uh, 13. It says, enter through the narrow, what? Gate. So if we want to get on the right path, and we all want to be on the right path, right? In order to get on the right path, we have to enter through the right gate. You can't get to the path until you get to the right gate. And so the way this passage sets it up is, well, you have to ask the question, well, what's the gate? But that's the wrong question. The question the Bible is calling us to is to say, who is the gate? Who is the gate? That's important. And if you get that, you go a long way. Because what we need to understand is the gate is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the gate. He's saying you come through me. If you're not, you, you see this in many places in the scripture. Let me just show you a couple of them. Um, again, if you're a note taker, you've got lots of, uh, lots of passages you can write down. John 10 verse 9 says this. I am the gate. This is Jesus talking. Does it get any clearer than that? Right? Jesus says, hey, listen, what's the gate? I'm the gate. Let me just tell you straightforward. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus wants to help us understand. If you want to get on the right path, you've got to come to the right gate, which means we need to understand that if you want to go down that path, the path that Jesus is calling us to, it first comes with the decision for a, a, a full and ultimate commitment to Jesus Christ, to place your faith in him and him alone, who he is and what he's done, a unilateral commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gate. That's the starting point. We want to get to the right path. Jesus says, listen, you've got to come to the right gate, and that right gate is me. Are you sure? Is it really Jesus? Is he the only way? Is he the only gate? Well, look at John um, chapter 14. It says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, he says, I am, is he a way? No. He says, I am the way, Right? He says, I am the way. So listen, there's lots of people that will tell you there's a way to God. And maybe Jesus is one of those ways, but Jesus doesn't say that. So who are we going to listen to? The opinions of lots of people? Or are we going to say, God, I need to listen to what Jesus says about himself? Because he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. You want to get to heaven? You want to get to the Father? It comes through him. He's saying, I am the way. No one comes to the Father, and no one in Greek means no one. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, one, one more. Let me give you one more. First um, Timothy 2, verse 5 says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Who? The man Christ Jesus. So this is throughout, all throughout Scripture, by the way, that Jesus is the gate. He is the way to God. He's, he is the one that we come to if we want to get on that path. And Jesus is very clear in his teaching. This is the fork in the road. He's saying, listen, you want to get on the right path. The path that leads to life, you've got to go to the right gate. And the right gate is me. You come through faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. That's what he's driving us towards. That's what he's saying. And it's so important. It's enormously important that we, that we really do get that. Now, um, he does also mention a few things, and I'll go back to the passage real quick. He says this, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. And really, there is this sense in which um, this is not easy, right? We already talked about that. And it's, 
It's not easy, but that's in some ways what the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to help us to understand. That we get to a point in which we say, I can't do this. This is too hard. And that we give up and abandon confidence in ourselves and say, okay, I can't. But God, you can. And so that ultimately we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he can when we can't. That's the whole point. And that's what the, the, the sermon drives us towards. That's what scripture tells us that helps us to get to a point where we say, I can't, God. You can. Please help. It's trusting him. That's why it's narrow. That's why it's small. But then there's the other two other words that I really want you to understand here. In verse 14, it says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And there's, there's a distinction here, right? We've already talked about it. The gate, that's Jesus Christ. It's coming to him in faith, recognizing that he is Lord. That's the gate. And one of the things that the, the evangelical church has done a really good job of is helping us understand that you need to come to a point of decision where you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And there's so much really more we could say about that, but it's, it's so incredibly important. And the evangelical church has done a good job helping us to get to this recognition that we need to decide. But Jesus is saying it's not just about decision, it's about discipleship, and that's the road, right? It's not just that we decide, but that we also choose to follow. There's a, a path, a road that we choose, the, 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 the path of discipleship, which is a following after Jesus. And this is important to understand because there are people who have made a decision for Jesus Christ. They entered through the gate and then they sat down. It's like there's a road, but you sat down. Listen, you're behind. You're falling back because Jesus is going forward and he said, I want you to walk with me and I want to walk with you. So get up. Don't sit. Keep going down the path of discipleship. Keep growing as a follower. It's not just a decision I made a long time ago. It's an active pursuit. It's a following after Jesus. And listen, here's the beautiful thing. This is where we experience life. This is where we experience the beauty of walking with Jesus, walking with a God who loves us, cares for us, forgives us. When we stumble, picks us up. When we, when we're, when we need comfort, he comforts us. When he, we celebrate, he's right there with us. This is the beauty of walking with him. And if you've sat down, listen, you're missing out. And we need to get back up and walk down that path. And so it's important that we, we really do understand that there's a, there's a part of us that we need to recognize too is, is following, not just coming to the road, but it's also following. Now, the last thing that I'll just mention again is that it talks about um, that there's a narrow road. And I know in our culture that that word narrow is, a, you know, it's a nasty thing to say to somebody. If you tell somebody you are really narrow, that's like a real insult, isn't it, right? But Jesus says, this is a narrow road. And you're like, Jesus, that's not popular. Jesus, to say that you're narrow or this is a narrow path, you're, not, you're missing the culture. That doesn't go well in our culture. But listen, that's what Jesus says. He says it's a narrow road. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And listen, for me to say anything other than that would to be a false teacher. And we need to get that. And this is why Jesus then goes on to say, let me tell you about false teachers because they're going to tell you something different. And so then that's the next thing, the two trees. That's what we see next. He says this, watch out for false prophets 
For they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. There are false prophets, false teachers, those who will tell you, yeah, you got Jesus, but you need some other things too. Yeah, Jesus is part of the, part of the answer, but there's a whole lot more. Let me tell you about the, these other things or things like that. And Jesus, Jesus is saying up front, listen, there are going to be people who are not going to claim the truth, who are going to say, well, it's a little broader than that. Jesus is a little narrow. We've got to go a little bigger than that, broader than that, wider than that. It's popular. And, that, and it's an interesting thing in our culture, right? In our culture, we celebrate diversity and be your own person, find your own truth and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, if you step back in our culture, even that we celebrate all this difference and diversity, we step back, there's a whole lot of cultural sameness, isn't there? Where it's like if you deviate from the popular uh, you know, path in terms of your beliefs and these pictures of God and all that kind of stuff, then no, 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 that's not popular, that's not good. Your values, that's, that's totally uh, you know, uh, old school. And so this is the way it goes. So it's an interesting thing, I just think. But anyway, that's just a side note commentary on our culture. But he's saying, watch out for these false, false prophets, these false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. So they come looking like the real thing. They come in sheep's clothing, but they're really wolves, right? A wolf, if they can like, look like a sheep um, and hang out with the sheep, they're going to have a full stomach, aren't they, right? Because they can get right next to the sheep um, undetected, and they have snacks right around them all, all over the place. And so Jesus is saying, watch out, because you, 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 they're going to look very, very deceptively like everyone else. And so he's warning us. He's saying, be careful, be careful, be careful. Let me ask you this question. Um, does anyone here have a change for a $20 bill? Does anybody have change for a 20? Raise your hand. Does anybody have change for a 20? All right. Okay. You do, could you pass it up to me right now? Could you give me your 20s? And I'll give you my 20. I've got one right here. This is for you. So... You're like, no, 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 no. Okay, so here's the deal. You're looking at this. You're a very smart crowd. You're like, wait a minute. This is a, this, that's not a 20. It's blue, right? We already know. This is, what is this? What do we call this in our, in our world? It's counterfeit, right? So you guys can spot this pretty easily. This is not real money. And I printed a couple of 20s, so, you know, I can give you a multiple. But you're still like, but it doesn't work. I just printed these this morning. Pretty good job, right? But you're like, well, that's, that's not fake. It's fake. I see it. It's clear. Now listen, Jesus is saying it's not always going to be so crystal clear. So you have to watch out for the counterfeit. You've got to recognize that, hey, there are false teachers. And so the question is, how do we know? How can we know who's true and who's false? How do we know the false teacher from the true teachers? And that's where he helps us in this passage continue on. Look at verse 16. It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? So he's saying, hey, you don't pick this kind of fruit from these kinds of um, tree sources, do you? So he's saying, listen, you've got to look at the roots of, of things. Look at verse 17. It says this. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Again, he's talking about the root system. The kind of fruit comes out of the root. What kind of a tree is producing it? Then verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The spiritual principle that I want you to see is this, that the root determines the fruit. The root determines the fruit. Okay, that's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. Listen, you're not going to pick grapes from thorn bushes. That's, that's the, the root doesn't get, produce that kind of a fruit. So we got to get down to what are the root issues. And so what I'd what I like to do just for a moment is, 
is point out some of the root issues of the false teachers, where they blow it. And the false teacher, in terms of the root issue, um, there's a couple of things that I want to point out. They get it wrong in terms of the gate, they get it wrong in terms of the road, and they get it wrong in terms of the relationship between the gate and the road. That's the root of the false teacher. Let me just show you really, really quickly. First of all, the false teacher gets it wrong in terms of the gate. The gate is who? Jesus. All right, good. You got it right. We, we, we're, 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 we're together here. So the root is, is Jesus. And he's, he's saying, listen, we, we need to understand that this is where the false teachers are, gonna, are going to get it wrong. They're going to err when it comes to Jesus. Look what it says in, in, in John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but who climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. So he's saying, listen, anyone who's kind of come to you with um, any other teaching about, like try to come in any other gate out, you know, trying to avoid Jesus, they're missing it. And so this is a root issue. If they don't come through Jesus, they try to come some other way. It's a distortion and they're, they're going to try to deceive you. And so the question then is, what is the teaching in scripture about Jesus? What, is it, what, is it, what do we need to know about Jesus from scripture? So let me just point out two things. First of all, John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is God, was God has always been God. That's important for us to get. And a false teacher will try to tell you something other than that. That Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. He was there from the beginning. He's there from, from, from eternity. And it, it, he's, he's the eternal, he's an eternal being. He's, he is God. That's important for us to get. He is God. He was God. Always will be God. The second thing that we need to recognize is that Jesus is also man. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, the word became flesh. That is, Jesus became flesh and he's made his dwelling among us so that we could know God and see what his, he's like and that we could have a mediator between us and God. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So again, what we need to understand, what scripture teaches about Jesus, the gate, is that he's fully God and that he's fully man. Any other teaching will be a root problem, right? Anyone that comes to you say, well, Jesus is just a really great moral teacher. He's a really good guy. Even though Jesus never just said he was a really good guy, he claimed to be God, right? And, and so he's either lying or he's really truly Lord. That's, that's, the, that, that's the issue. And so it's important that we, we do uh, see that and understand it. And so people... The root, part of the root of the false teacher is when they get, they get the gate wrong, they get Jesus wrong. Now, the second part is the road. The road, that is, anyone who as a, comes to you and says, well, you know, you can you know, have a little bit of Jesus or a little bit of religion, but you don't, let it, you don't have to let it touch the rest of your life. You know, that's just follow Jesus on Twitter, but live out your, the rest of your life this way, right? That is, that's a root problem. Because Jesus says, no, 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 I want your full life. I want you to follow me completely. There's discipleship. So anyone who gets that wrong is also deceiving you. And so there's, there's that root issue as well in terms of discipleship, what it means to be a full follower of Jesus Christ. And then the, this is an important one. They get wrong the relationship between the gate and the road. And what the false teacher will want to do over and over and over is to say to you, well, you need to get on to the road in order to get to the gate. They get it backwards. 
They said, well, you got to get on the road, and that is, you got to get, you know, get your life all cleaned up so that you can come to God so that he can clean you up. The problem is, that doesn't work, does it? No. See, only Jesus can cleanse. Only Jesus can wash us clean. There's no self-scrubbing that we can do to get there. So the, the issue is we need to say, no, come to Jesus. He's the gate. And then we get to the road of discipleship where he continues to work on us and mature us and, that, and help us to be what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is, this is so important. So that's what the root issues are. You just see them right there laid out in the passage. Then in the, the verse 20, it says, thus by your fruit, you will recognize them. So we've got the root issues. Then the question is, what's the fruit? And so again, I'm gonna just go back to some other passages of scripture because there's a whole lot of passages in scripture that talk about the false teacher, the false prophets, and what I'd like to do is just give you four marks of the false teacher because it talks about the fruit. And the question that you may have is, what fruits should I be looking for in terms of the false teacher? And really, it comes down to their teaching and those that they've taught. So you can kind of see the fruit in both ways. The, the words that they give, the teaching that they have, and those who follow them are, are ways that we see fruit from the false teacher. So let me just give you four marks found in Scripture um, that uh, are marks of the false teacher. The first one is this. The first thing to inspect is how do they handle God's Word? When you're listening to someone, the question is how do they handle God's word. This is what it says in Acts. Look at this passage. It says this. I know that after I leave, this is uh, Paul speaking, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw you uh, away disciples after them. So the distortion of the truth. God's word is our truth. And anyone who comes to you and says, well, it's not enough. And they distort it. They say, well, you need to add some things to it. Or you need to take some things out of it. They're distorting the truth. And there are so many people over throughout history who have said, well, you need these other books. And you know, the Bible, that's a good book. But you need these other books to read to really know how to get to God and what it really means to be, you know, a, a spiritual person. Or they'll say, well, you need these, you go through these courses, or you need to get this literature, or you need to, you know, have a special, you know, secret decoder ring to get it all. But this is, this, it's, it's the problem here. They, they distort God's word. God's word is enough. God has given us his word, and it is enough. We stand on God's word alone as our authority. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We respond to it because it is truth, not distorting it. That's an important thing to see. The second thing about the false teacher is the question how they deal with people is to inspect how is it they deal with people. And so let me show you another passage. It says this in 2 Peter 2, 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So when it comes to people, they want to exploit people. Now, that's a deceptive way of, of them kind of saying, well, I need, a, I need you to hear this or do this. But it, in so many ways, it's about serving them and it's about meeting their needs. And so we just have to really be careful. How are they treating people? Are they serving them truly? Um, or are they really serving themselves? Are they trying to exploit them? Now, the other thing that I want you to see from the same passage um, is how they deal with money. How do false teachers deal with money? Because somehow, for, many fa- for false teachers, there's this other aspect that comes in. Their heart is drawn away by money. It says this in um, the same very passage. You look at it in verse 3. It says, in their greed these teachers will exploit you. So in their greed, so the question is, what do they do with money? 
How, are they, how is their heart you know, and their actions deal with, with wealth? Just to give an extreme example, some of you guys may, may remember um, a false teacher who came in back in the 80s to this region, to Wasco County, Bhagwan Rajneesh, a guy who presented himself as a spiritual guru, an enlightened person, and he led a whole bunch of people um, in, in this cult, the Rajneesh cult. And Bhagwan Rajneesh uh, had, you know, in terms of a car, he felt the only car that he could really drive was a Rolls Royce. Now, of course, it wasn't enough to just have one Rolls Royce. Do you know how many he had? He had 94 Rolls Royces. So some, like, warning signs should be flashing when it comes to the greed issue there, right? Do you really need 94 Rolls Royces. So all of a sudden you just see, now that's an extreme example, but it still is a clear example of a false teacher. There's greed that's there behind, behind the scenes. Now, the last one is this, they, uh, the, the quality of their character, the quality of their character. Look what uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 2. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So there's um, an important thing for us to just inspect the character, the person who's speaking, how, do they, how does they live their life, what inte- the integrity is there. They could be a powerful speaker, but they could have a poor model in terms of their character and their life. And that's an important thing for us to, to recognize too. So he says, listen, there's the false teacher and there's the false, false, um, their false um, fruit from their teaching, but we also have to recognize who that they've taught. That is, they not only just have a false teaching, but have false uh, followers. And that's the next part of this passage, because he goes on to say, now let me show you the two kinds of followers um, that, that he's talking to you, because you'll have a false follower. And Jesus tells us how he examines them. In verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, just a couple of things I'll point out in this, this verse. It's interesting. It says those who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and, and he's talking about the entrance to heaven. And what's interesting, what we need to recognize here, is that everyone will come before Jesus when it comes down to entrance to heaven. So in a certain sense, listen, all paths do lead to Jesus. One way or the other, all paths do come to Jesus. That is, you are going to come to Jesus and you're going to have life or not. And that's the big difference. We are all going to meet our maker one way or the other. And the question is, are we going to come saying, okay, I'm only here because you've cleansed me and that's how I can enter in because I've trusted Jesus. Or are you going to come and say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. That's the big difference. We're all going to stand before Jesus at some point. And we have to really recognize that Jesus is pointing us again to that fork because it's so incredibly critical that we respond and we respond wisely. So he says, listen, not everyone who says to me, oh, go back, sorry, go back to that, will say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, again, it's this, this, this verse is about our words. Those who say, well, I've said, I, I'll say spiritual things and I'll, I'll talk to God and I, you know, I've you know, done some religious things in terms of what you, know, you talk about it. He's saying, no, no, it's not just about your words. That, and he rejects just words. Hey, Lord, Lord, 
He says, I'm looking for something more. Well, we say, well, what's the something more? Many people say, well, if it's not my words, maybe it's my deeds. Maybe if I do things for God, then I can get to heaven. That's the next verse. In verse 22, he's talking about our deeds. It says this. Um, uh, sorry. Yes, this is one. 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And so Jesus is, they're coming to Jesus saying, listen, we did all these things. And it's interesting in this passage, Jesus does not deny those things, doesn't deny that they're real gifts, that they may have actually happened and actually happened in his name, but he still rejects it. So if it's not our words and it's not our deeds, then what is it? What is it, Jesus, that you're looking for? Look at the next verse. It says this, and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Listen, you're saying, well, listen, I, I, how do I get there? Is it, if it's not my words... And if it's not my deeds, what is it that God wants from me? Listen close. He wants you. That's what he wants. He wants you. We'll say, well, if he wants me, then what am I supposed to say? No, you still don't get it. It's not about the words that you say. You say, well, okay, well, if he wants me, then what am I supposed to do? Listen close. It's not about doing a bunch of things. It's about coming into a faith relationship with him. And here's the beautiful thing. You get that right. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. You trust him. He transforms your words and he can transform your deeds. But you don't come to him with those saying, hey, here I am, ta-da, let me in, right? I'm ready for heaven. He says, no, no, you come to me. It comes to a relationship with him. And it's, in, and it's pointed out here in this passage because he says, listen, I never knew you. That's the scariest word. That's the most important thing that we need to see here. I never knew you. And you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. I thought that God knows everything. Isn't he God? Doesn't he know me? Doesn't he know about my life? And the answer is yes. He knows you. But there's two ways that the word know um, is used in, in the Greek language. There's the know by, which means I know by comprehension and cognition. And then there's the word know that, that's by experience and through relationship. And so in one sense, yes, God can know about you. But if you've never said, God, I want to know you, I want to come into a relationship with you, he's saying, we don't have that. And so Jesus, again, is driving us to that fork to say, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to respond in faith to who I am and what I've done, what I've said, what I've done for you? Trust me. Come into a relationship with me. Know me. That's what Jesus is looking for. And that's what's important for so important for us to get. And that's the fork for you. That's the fork for me. Decide, okay, what do I do with Jesus? And Jesus drives us there. He's saying, listen, I want to know you. I want you, not your words, not your, all your deeds. I'll help you with those things, but I want you to know me. Come to me. Put your faith in me. So let's take a moment and let's pray. And I'll give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus in prayer. Let's take a moment and pray together. Right now, we're just coming before the Lord, and this really, truly is an opportunity for you to come and respond to God in your own heart, in your own mind, just to pause in God's presence. And for some of you today, you are right at the gate, and you've got a decision to make and I just invite you right now to be honest in God's presence, 
And I invite you, and I can't force you. This is a decision that you have to make. I invite you to put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To say to God, honestly, God, I, I've been trusting in myself. I've been doing it on my own. And it's not working. I'm empty. I, I, keep, I, can't, I can't seem to get out of the ruts I'm in. And it does, it's not a path that I, I'm on a path that I feel like it's just leading to, leading to destruction. So God, I want to get on the right path. And that means coming to the gate. And so for you today, it's an, it's an opportunity. Jesus is inviting you to say, come to me. Put your faith in me. Trust in who I am and what I've done for you. And for you, it's just an opportunity to say, God, I believe in you. I believe that in you I can find forgiveness, hope, and healing. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. For some of you, you've made a decision, but you got on the road and you sat down. And this is a moment for you to say, God, I want to walk forward with you. I need to get up, walk with you, follow you. And I need your help. I want to experience the life, a life that is filled with the joy and hope that comes with walking with you. God, we all just want to come together before you and just say thank you for loving us so much that you tell us the truth. The truth is that we will all stand before you one day. And in that day, really, it comes down to the question of what we did with you. Thank you for making it clear to us now so that we can choose to follow you, to put our faith in you, to trust you. And as we do, Lord, because of who you are and what you've done. You give us assurance and hope. You give us the promise of eternal life, salvation, heaven. God, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for what you have done and you've made it possible for us. In your name, amen.